Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! Hey everyone, it's Matthew Zachary, and welcome back to Out of Patience. What was once a show is now a party right here on the same feed you already subscribed to. Why? Because I'm now the ringleader of a whole new cast of senior correspondents with segments featuring opinion pieces, rants, and the latest news about the shit show that is our fabulous healthcare system. The only thing that hasn't changed is our mission to make healthcare suck less for everyone. Let's get started. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. Uh, super quick before I get to the guest intro, I'm I'm hoping to get like maybe 20 or 30 more Apple Podcast reviews. I don't really ask for this very often, but it'd be great for those of you listening on Apple Podcasts to consider leaving a review. Hopefully a good one, <laughs> maybe a five-star rating. You know, it, it looks good for the metrics. It helps more people find the show. And, um, you know, we're doing well. There's tons of listeners. I, I love you all. I thank you so much for chiming in every week. Anyway, my guest today, man, I learned a lot. I learned the difference between our genetic predispositions and something called the adaptive immune system. And the theme of the show is kind of how humanity has more or less lost, at least here in America, perhaps, the Star Trek shields that protect our natural defenses from things, but most importantly, from things like food. Food allergies kind of didn't exist in the 60s and 70s. I also learned that everyone is born without allergies, and they develop really quickly for different reasons today than they used to 30 years ago. So my guest, Minal Lele, is the host of a podcast called Fixing Sick. She's a Wharton and UPenn genius whose kid was diagnosed with all sorts of crazy allergies at an early age. And she went into like advocate beast mode and learned all these things that I don't know why they haven't really come to light. But it really just comes down to gut biome. And all the crap that lives inside you kind of doesn't do its job anymore because we've been so sanitized and purelled to death that our bodies have lost the natural way that we prevent being allergic to shit. But you know what? We can actually prevent food allergies from ever happening in the first place thanks to science and thanks to cunning ingenuity from people like Minal. Enjoy the show. Is it Lele or Lili, Ron? Lele. It is Lele. Yeah, I do an intro before sure. the show, so it's just like... Yeah, I've heard it. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Wait, you're my listener? <laughs> I am one of your listeners. Welcome, yeah. listener. <laughs> Thank you for having me. <laughs> Minal Lele, joining me here. 
I love when I have other show hosts on my show because you understand the value of good conversation and you are a good conversationalist. I thank you. That's kind of you. I'll lead with what I said in the intro, you know, host of Fixing Sick, which I just think I love when syllables go right. It's Fixing Sick. It's so onomatopoetic. It's alliterative. It's all the things. And it just sums it up so well. But I also, you're, I know so many friends that like out of, what is it, necessity being the mother of invention, going into, I'll start my own food company <laughs> or beverage company. And they had no idea what they were in for. So we can get into like founder therapy sure. <laughs> later in the show. But I wanted to ask you one specific question because your LinkedIn profile, which I always audit anyone on the show, has you graduating with a Bachelor's of Science from Penn and a Bachelor's of Applied Science from Wharton in the same year. That's correct. How the hell did that happen? Well, so I went to an undergraduate program where you actually do a joint degree, one from the engineering school and one from the business school. So everyone who graduates from Wharton undergraduate, you get a Bachelor of Science Economics and, you know, you get an engineering degree from the engineering school. But the whole point was to actually do both degrees at once and to graduate with both sets of knowledge so that you could go into the business of science or be very effective at the science part of a business. Now, was all this before the shit hit the fan in your family or was it something that you were doing and then while the shit was hitting the fan? Yeah, this was way before. Um, no, I asked for a reason. Okay. Because were you able to actually apply yes. your appliedness <laughs> to your... 100%. Okay. So there's about 50 kids a year in this. Uh, it's called the Jerome Fisher Program in Management and Technology. And yeah, I actually pursued a career doing both things. And this uh, company, Little Mixins, is actually my third medical startup company. So I've been applying, doing the science of business, business of science for the entire time. And so that was all kind of... Actually, one of the reasons I did it, it's not that it um, fell into my lap per se, is I pursued it because I felt like, what a weird situation that I have this problem personally. And I happen to have a lot of experience in the tools to actually be effective in solving, you know, bring a solution to the market. And so it felt like the universe had handed me a mandate to right. do it. Wait, so let's hop in the DeLorean and go back to before okay. the before times. The before times. <laughs> Prior to university, as I say in England, university. What were you doing? Who who chooses a double Wharton UPenn thing? Like, wh where did this come from? Someone who's unsure what they want to do <laughs> and figures they'll just like, you know, if you start both and maybe you hate one, you can drop out of one or something. No, I actually, the true story is it sounded like a really cool program, right? Because it, it really did. I always felt that way. If you can understand science really well, but if you don't have any sense of how to bring a technology to market, there's no point in knowing the science, right? It's not there's no use in humanity knowing something if no one else is able to use it. And so that sounded great to me, even as a high schooler. But honestly, I applied to Penn because I just thought I wouldn't get in. Like, I was like, there's no way in hell these people are going to let me into this program. It sounds so competitive. So here's my early decision application, you know, and and then I got in and I was like, oh, I guess this is what I'm doing. Right. I guess I just channel my inner Jew. Like my parents were like, maybe he will get in. Maybe he won't get in. <laughs> was there a dynamic there too? Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, the Indians are just slightly browner Jews. <laughs> you know what? I will agree with that. And it's the same guilt and the same great food. Yes. And and, and strong, uh, yeah, guilt and fam family. Browner Jews. Oh, my God. You totally win this show with that <laughs> one. That's awesome. It's kind of true. The, yeah, no, there was, yeah, I think my parents were really hopeful, obviously, that I would get in somewhere good, but they really left it to us. Like, I, they had no, 
say. It was all, you know, I picked out the schools and filled out all the applications and everything. That and sounds progressive. I mean, they were pretty clear about what they felt we should be doing. <laughs> opinions are still going to be there. Yeah, the opinions were there, right? But they were like, this is your life and your guidance. You know, you, you have to choose things. And pretty much other than Penn, I did go to an engineering school, but I pretty much was applying to engineering schools otherwise. Right. Well, good for you. Yeah. And who knew what you were doing would be totally applicable yeah, <laughs> down it's, the road. It's kind of amazing that I actually do use my degree. And I'm always really excited about that when I use both sides of those that those degrees. Right. Which leads me to channel our inner parents. Are kids the cause of and solution to all of life's problems? I think all religion says that. So maybe. <laughs> I don't know. The children are the future, right? And isn't the future the cause of and the solution that, to all of what? our problems? Bro, I just think I went, I went like cross-eyed channeling like Singularity University. <laughs> Something... <laughs> Yeah, children are children are a challenge, right? But they they really do make you change your perspective on the world. And I think the most important thing children do is for the truly for the first time you think about the world from somebody else's perspective. I know we all supposed to do that our whole lives. Right. But we're all really bad at it. And yet when you have this toddler, for example, who's just wailing or just taking this completely insane perspective, it's one of the few times you're like, "All right, really love this person so i'm just gonna stop and figure out why could they possibly the feel this way want? yeah <laughs> and the, the whole what to expect when you're expecting is bullshit it's one thing to say like quote normal child right but when your kid comes out and there's all sorts of stuff that we don't know what my daughter had this rare crazy uh, eosinophilic condition that we had to, to diagnose ourselves and convince the doctors called sandifers that my wife did like this crazy Mariana's trench level research of shit and became like the not, not a momcologist but like a momvocate whatever. Sounds and like we'd get along. You and my wife would get along stunningly well. And your first kid, the first kid is always the experiment, right? And right. the second kid's like, oh, we'll take care of this one differently. Yep, we know what we're doing now. We have some experience here. You know, when you're suddenly faced with these problems that you'd never anticipated, right? It's like everyone imagines having children. They never imagine having a child with any sort of issues, whatever right. that could be, right? It could be physical. It could be any challenges even in their life, right. like emotional challenges, a child that gets bullied, whatever. Right. And you never, of course, it's like you think about having a car. You don't think about the breakdown the car might have. Right. You know? Exactly. So unless it's like a Yugo right. <laughs> or a Mitsubishi, not a sponsor. <laughs> everything about you is highly Googleable. We'll put links to everything in the episode uh, show notes, but to the extent that you can kind of summarize the holy fuck moment when your kid got hives. It's always hives, by the way. It's never anything else. But when the hives break out, you go into panic mode. Yeah. You know, we didn't. Interestingly, we didn't go into panic mode because we actually sat there kind of stunned and confused because we had just been to the allergist. So he had just before we started solid foods, he had started developing eczema. And so our doctor sent us to an allergist and they tested him for allergies and he was not allergic to eggs. And so his first reaction, interestingly, was to eggs just a couple weeks later, which goes to show you how quickly that switch can flip. Mm. And Wait, so it's not a fault of the tests themselves? Not necessarily. Your genes can literally, like a light switch, just change? No, it's not genetic. Okay. That's the... Let's start at this point. If right, there's nothing me. else... One yeah, on me. Food allergies are not genetic. They are an, part of your adaptive immune system. Mm. So your immune system, your innate immune system, that's what your genetics codes. Like, which cells do you got in you? You know, what are your fighting tools? Then what decisions those tools make, that's the adaptive immune system, right? And so your adaptive immune system is making the mistake, causing or, or this food allergy. 
And your adaptive immune system, when a baby is around six months old, six to 10 months old, that's the key phase where the adaptive immune system is learning because that's when the baby's first being exposed to new foods, the baby's starting to crawl, shoving things in their mouths. And so this is a part of the immune system that previously hasn't really been triggered. So it's like a trampoline, sort of. It, things are bouncing off of it, and how, how, how elastic is it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's um, Even our, our responses to all viruses are also part of our adaptive immune system, right? They adapt to the new virus and create mm-hmm. new tools to fight these things, right? And you, we all know that infants lack that sort of adaptive immune system. That's why they're so susceptible to certain diseases. And then it gets better. But then when we get old, it kind of wanes again, right? And so just like that, food allergies tend to develop for the most part, not always, but for the most part, between six and 10 months old. And you cannot have a food allergy at six months and one day and then avoid a food and at six months and 15 days now have the food allergy, Hmm. right? And so that's basically what happened to our kid. And so he started breaking out in these hives and we were like, well, that doesn't make any sense because we just tested him. Because I didn't know this information at the time, right? Well, you're clearly, became, you became super mom. Yeah, I, I yeah. went deep, as you're you like said. You're like beast mode mode. Well, yes, because this was really frustrating, right? And when, I, when I'm presented information by experts, and then it turns out to not, you know, then I want to understand why. And to, at the time, everyone had really framed food allergies and other allergic diseases as genetic. And I, you know, my husband and I don't have any allergies. We're not even from similar genetic backgrounds, like, if it was genetic, it shouldn't have been in our family, right? Right. And so I was like, well, that's not right. So what's what, what happened? Like, what did we do? <laughs> you know, like we were just hanging out for two weeks. What happened? And Clearly your fault somehow for no reason. It's always my fault. Yes. Well, I mean, mom. Moms take the brunt. Exactly. Yeah. It's always mom's fault to mom. Nobody else thinks it's mom's fault, but mom always thinks it's her fault. So, so you didn't freak out because you, you, are you like just academically, critically thinking and freaking out doesn't make intellectual sense? Yeah, I'm not generally a freak outer. I think, like I said, I was just confused, you know, so I was just sort of sitting there like, what is this input that I'm getting visually that doesn't compute, you know? Right. And eventually we realized what was happening and we were like, oh, oh my God, he must be having an allergic reaction. We need to go to the hospital, right? And he's how old at this point? He was about 11 months old. Okay, so not that there's a great infant age for this to happen, but that's a rough infant age for this to happen. To this point, some other some other truth bombs for your listeners there are great infant ages for this to happen. Oh. The younger, the better. Ooh. And the reason is because your the baby's immune system is getting stronger. That adaptive part of the immune system is slowly like picking up, you know, speed at around I don't know, let's call it six months old, and it's getting stronger. So there was a really interesting clinical study they did where they looked at every child that came into an ER with anaphylaxis or an allergic reaction, that being the cause for the ER visit, and then they stratified it by age of the child and said, well, what were the symptoms? What were the symptoms six months old were experiencing? Nine months, 12 months, you know, up. And babies, so under a year old, 90, I think it was 9% of the time, only have hives or throw up. The more dangerous symptoms don't tend to show up until the baby or the child is two to three years old. And their immune system is stronger and actually able to mount a more severe reaction. Mm. And so interestingly, the best time to start early prevention, early allergen introduction, or if you want to think of it this way, find out if the baby has the allergy already is as young as possible when their immune system is as weak as possible. So this is like a desensitizing them from day one. It is training tolerance before they develop the allergy. So desensitizing would imply that they have the disease okay, and then you're getting rid of it. But the whole point is nobody is born with allergies. So what you're trying to do is train them. So I always use this analogy, which is 
So unless you live in a one, you know, a single story New York City apartment, the child's going to encounter stairs at some point, right? So what does every parent do? They show the baby how to turn around and go down the stairs safely or go up the stairs safely before the baby falls down the stairs, right? We don't just like hope the baby doesn't fall down. And so training tolerance. Wait, you didn't hope your kid fell down the stairs? I did not hope for that. I was parenting all wrong. Yeah, I I think you should have maybe read those books. Yes. (laughs) And, And yeah, so that's the same idea is that like that you're trying to train their immune system to tolerate these foods and understand how to properly react to the food rather than flipping out and calling it, you know, an allergen or a pathogen and then and fighting it, right? So that's what training tolerance is. Before they develop the allergy, you teach their body to tolerate these foods so that they never develop the allergy. Okay, so no one is born with allergies has freaked me up. And we'll be right back after these fabulous messages. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. All right, we're back. My first question, should every baby then be born into a vat of peanut butter? No, you don't want to be touching it with your skin. You want to be eating it. So actually, that's a big mistake a lot of people make. I will no longer allow whatever children to be born into a vat of of Jiffy. Yes. Not Jiffy. Wait, to be born into a vat of Jiff, not a sponsor. So actually, that's how one of the main reasons that children, they believe, started to develop allergies is because by definition, food is everywhere in our atmosphere, right? The dust of it is everywhere. And so when we were not feeding children foods, like allergenic foods in infancy, they were definitely touching them, though, still, right? And so what was happening is they were getting skin exposure, which causes sensitization to foods, but they weren't getting the gut exposure, which teaches the body to stay cool. Mm. And so what you're doing in the process of early allergen introduction is you're actually giving the body that counter signal that says, hey, this is actually safe. Mom and dad gave this to me. I can eat this. I'm processing it. Everything's going to be fine. So it is true that nobody develop, nobody is born with allergies, eczema, food allergy, anything. 
But some kids can develop these diseases super, super early on. Typically, the first one to develop is eczema. And you will get babies that like, it looks like by day one, day two, they already seem to have eczema, really sensitive skin. And then asthma typically shows up after the food allergies when they're a little bit older. But part of the reason food allergies, quote, don't develop earlier is because they're not eating food. But for example, you can have a baby who's a month old who develops a milk allergy, right? So it, it can happen earlier, depending. And it's, it's really about, the, as the immune system is kind of going through these phases of development, like it should be getting the right inputs at the right time. Okay, so I'm going to pull a Gen X, get off my lawn, back in my day thing here. Mm-hmm. Where were the allergies in the 70s? Were we just playing in dirt and our body was fine with it? And now we're too purelled as a society? It's maybe the Purell. It's so we know if you think about it the other way, right, which is okay. let's start from the beginning, which is an allergy is a mistake the immune system's making. Right. The immune system is tagging. Let's call it almond as a pathogen. So the first question we should ask is like, why does why would the immune system do that? Why would it make that mistake? Right. Well, it turns out that most of the food proteins that we most typically develop food allergies to, there's like kind of a top nine they think that structurally the proteins in there actually look most structurally similar to pathogens we'd experienced throughout Mm, history. And that's why certain foods tend to trigger allergies way more often than other foods. Okay, fine. So now we understand that kind of mechanism. But like, what's causing the mistake? And what you you see, and this is, again, I've not done any of this research, but I'm trying to walk you through the thinking that all the allergists and immunologists got to, was the immune system goes into high alert it has, there are certain contexts, there are certain reasons, right, when the immune system goes into high alert. Obviously, if you get a virus, it's exposed to this virus, it sees the virus like exploding your cells, and it's like, well, that's not good, right? But when it comes to pathogens, what, the way pathogens typically get into our body is they, like a, you know, like a hookworm, is like they break through the barrier. They actually go through the skin barrier, or they go through the lung barrier, or they break through the gut barrier, right? Okay. So that's exactly what's happening with these proteins. They're going through the skin, through the lungs, into the blood, through the gut barrier, into the, into the um, bloodstream. And so that's why your body's freaking out because they're like, hey, these proteins were not supposed to cross the barrier. They, they're supposed to be contained. Mm-hmm. Why did that happen? So that's really where you get to the key difference between when 50 years ago, 40 years ago, and more recently, because most of the allergies kind of happened in the last 35 years, right. is that human beings' barriers have gotten weaker. So we know that our skin barriers, our lung barriers, and our gut barriers have actually thinned in that time. And that's not a genetic thing. So then you get to the next level question. Is that an epigenetic thing? It's not epigenetic. Our barriers are not just us. Okay, that's really where we get to this whole question of the microbiome. So the microbiome, one mental analogy, which is not totally correct, but I like to... I find just say it anyway. Visually helpful is when I think about a, a ship that's covered in barnacles... Right. And if you imagine the microbes on your skin are like those barnacles on the ship. Now, imagine that the barnacles, by as their way to like stick to the ship and stick to each other, they kind of like secrete stuff. Mm -hmm. And that actually creates a second hull. Right. So when we strip the barnacles off a ship, if we went at it with like an axe or, you know, just like a chisel, we would not only remove one hull, but we would weaken the ship's hull, too. Right. And that's actually what happened was we changed what microbes were living on us and in us. And that has not only because they themselves were a layer of the barrier, but they also used to secrete stuff, you know, these like complex fatty acids and other things that also created a layer. And without those two things, we're like two layers down, basically. So like the Star Trek shields are down to 5%. Exactly. Number one. Well, what is it? Number one, what's the report? And then they shake and then they're like down to 10%. Engage with your food allergies. 
Yeah, that's so. <laughs> did we do this to ourselves as a species? Is this the agribusiness conspiracies and watered down crap and Florida in the water? Like, is there any data? And I, we wanted to talk about the leap study, the petite study, and the eat study. Did with, rhyming on purpose? I don't know, but there's data to suggest that a lot of this bears fruit. Yes. So the leap petit or petite and eat study actually are specifically looking at early allergen introduction, which says, hey, in this current environment we're in. Given not, not worrying about what kind of caused all these issues, but saying, look, this is where we are as a humanity, as a you know, society today. Can we prevent food allergies? And it turns out, yes. Up to 97% of peanut allergies are preventable if parents follow the protocol, meaning the baby is eating two to three gram, two grams of peanut protein two to three times a week for months. 97% of peanut allergies are preventable, right? The Pettit study specifically looked at well-cooked eggs. Could a certain protocol of well-cooked eggs also prevent egg allergy? The EAT study looked at, well, what happens then if we try and prevent lots of different allergies, right? And that was a really critical study because it showed that if parents are not adherent to the protocol, meaning they don't, the baby doesn't eat the protein in enough quantity and frequently enough, they get no benefit over avoidance. Mm -hmm. So that protocol adherence really, really matters to prevention of those food allergies. But the there is lots of clinical data outside of that prevention question that's, that does show that our barriers have been weakened. And our barriers, and you can see it, you can see the shift. If you look at people from different generations, you can see that their microbiomes are completely different. And people in different cultures, their microbiomes are different. And we, can, we know that certain chemicals like surfactants and our detergents and stuff, actually, you put on your skin and it will weaken the barrier. I mean, is it fair to think that if we don't abate this in some way now, we'll be allergic to everything at some point? I don't know that we'll be allergic to everything. Again, kind of going back to that question of what are things your body is willing to call a pathogen. But I mean, the problems will keep getting worse, right? Because... Allergic diseases are very linked to autoimmune diseases. They're very linked to uh, autism spectrum diseases, emotional regulation issues. So we're we're headed down a really, really dangerous path of a wild majority of us being basically deeply disabled if we don't stop the things that are causing this kind of breakdown of our systems. I mean, I love the very idea of trying to prevent food allergies before they become a thing. That's kind of akin to the other shows I've done here, which is like, can we detect cancer before it's cancer, right? right. When it's like stage a half, mm -hmm. <laughs> whatever that looks like. Is it too late for those of us and our kids that are already fucked up because they can't do anything or touch anything? It is, at least for prevention, right? But there right. are they are coming up with treatments. And to your point about cancers, like we couldn't do anything about cancers. If we just sat there being like, well, it sure seems like everyone's smoking and there's a lot of lung cancer. I hope we could catch the lung cancer early instead of just saying, hey, if you just never smoke, your odds of developing the lung cancer are going to be very, very low. Right. right. And that's really where prevention steps in is to say, like, just don't just shift this behavior and then you never go down. We don't need to, like, identify it early. We just don't right. go down that pathway at all. So for the next show we're going to do, because there's clearly more of these shows, I want to start to plant the ideas of how could this possibly integrate into standard of care in delivery and labor? Yeah, it wouldn't, you know, where it's where it's going into standard of care is... But like postpartum integration into life, like first yeah. three months. When, where does that go? Is that reimbursable? Does pharma want to make a pill for this? You're in the consumer retail sector... Can I plead the fifth on this for the moment? You can plead the fifth on okay. this for sure. When, when I have more to tell you, 
we'll come back to this topic, but I yeah. agree with you. And eczema, interestingly, eczema, because it's the first allergic disease, that one, 50% of eczema is preventable if women in the third trimester take a specific probiotic, not just a random one, but l that one, across 10 different randomized controlled trials. If a woman takes it at her third trimester and then she and or baby take it through the breastfeeding period, the first six months, cuts the risk of eczema by 50%. Wow. Eczema is the single biggest risk factor for food allergies. So if you once you've taken down that base rate of children who are already at atopic, now you've also you know reduced the rate of food allergy. These two interventions, L-rhamnosis, you know, from third trimester through six months, and then early allergen introduction could easily cut again 50% of eczema and up to 90% of food allergies. And we'd live in a wildly different world. Like schools, that nurse's cabinet in an elementary school would look wildly different. Is that probiotic like on the shelves anywhere? Yes. My company, of course, now sells one because we're like, well, we got to make this available to people. But we are by no means the only people that sell one, right? right. So you just have to look at the bottle and make sure that there's a sufficient quantity of that specific strain, L-rhamnosis, or that specific bacteria, I should say. All right. So let's talk about your show, Fixing Sick. Mm-hmm. Again, I love the name. It makes sense. It's, it's like I love when, when anything in media just clicks. It's simple. Two words, three words, you're done. Hey, out of patience. <laughs> what a great name. What made you decide that that was going to be the medium for you to build an audience and talk to the world? The reason for the podcast was actually almost as an offshoot of other work I was doing. So like your wife, I was just going deep and I I just did the thing where I actually just started calling up researchers. I was reading people's papers, you know, off PubMed. And then I would call them and say, or email them and say, hey, I have more questions. I don't understand what you meant when you did this. Like when you said this comment, what does that mean? Or can you point me to... What was the thinking behind that? And eventually people started talking to me and answering my questions because people do like when you're interested in their research. And <laughs> Feed the beast. <laughs> and um, no, most of them were just really, really gracious. And on the, I also, in almost exactly two years ago, I sat down to write this book called um, Baby in the Biome that's coming out in September. And, and so, of course, I did a lot of interviews, right? I did a lot of interviews with experts. And I recorded all those interviews mostly for the pers- for the reason of having good notes, making sure I got the information correct. And then I realized by writing the book, I'm always adding in this huge layer of what Menal thinks about it, right? Like I- I'm 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 biasing things, obviously, right? And also I'm not an immunologist, so I'm adding in a layer of like dumb dumbness to it too, right? And good, th- nothing like a bit of good dumb dumbness. Yeah, you know, let's just let's admit where our faults are. <laughs> but you know, you could still layer over the the I'm a mom. Yeah. And we just, that's it. That's your cred. That's sure. your degree. I'm a, I have a master's degree in being a mom. Yeah. But we, we were always going to bring your own kind of perspective, right? And so I just thought, hey, you know what? I bet people would really want to hear from the source, not from like the filter, my filter of their research, but hear from the source. And so we had, so I went back to a lot of the people and said, hey, remember that interview we did, uh, that, the Q&A we did? Can we actually do it as an interview that I could record and use as a podcast? to kind of explain some of the the real deeper scientific thinking. Because you can, in a book and stuff, it's really hard or any sort of online content, it's really hard to go deep on the science. But I felt like there was enough people who really truly wanted to understand how these diseases were happening and why they were happening. And I had all this content. And so, um, again, all these researchers so very graciously did interviews with me again so that they could take the time to like really explain their level of understanding of where all this stuff was coming from. I love the idea behind this neonatal better prep, better care, because neonatal health is a thing now. 
like babies just kind of died a hundred years ago. Like like Washington had what nine kids, so they would net out at three, right? We don't have to do that anymore. Even though mortality is a thing, we can get that's another show. But at the end of the day, how do we reinforce neonatal care and add these conversations and almost like retail advocacy against real data? Mm-hmm. Let's not forget this is published peer-reviewed science, right? Right. I never. Which at least two thirds of the country believes in. <laughs> yes, and and I think everyone believes in if it supports their previous thinking, their prior thinking going <laughs> yeah, exactly. into exactly. Yeah. No. You know, I, I I feel like there's so much garbage out there, and people are looking for something that really sticks to the evidence, and that's kind of what we tried to build with little mixins from at least from a commercial perspective is to say, hey, here's what's been proven like ad nauseum. And so now we're making it easy and convenient for you to actually implement, right? Because as I said earlier, is like, it's science is all well and good, but if we kind of like brush our hands off at the like we discovered it part, then but what's the use if it's not exactly. applicable? Exactly. Yep. If no one can do it, then what good is it? Do you have? Um, it's like picking your favorite kid, but any one particular episode of your show that you're most proud of, or you got this person on? I. Personally, really enjoy the gut episode. Uh, the and I, I think I just find the gut really, really fascinating. And so much of our microbiome is actually, you know, exists in the gut. And so many of these diseases actually start from dysfunction in the gut. So I found that episode to be. Um, I, I like that episode. I will say that actually the first episode that talks about like is this really a problem? You know, why are, and brings in. I, I interviewed actually my sister in law because my nephew has type one diabetes. And I had never gotten her side of the story in detail about what it was like to care for a child, you know, from three years old to 17 when he, or 18 when he left, who has type 1 diabetes. And it still, like, gives me chills, right? Like, it, it's still, every time I think about it, I'm like, oh, my God, I cannot believe that this is what you're going through, that this is what you went through, and that there isn't more support. And there's so many millions of Americans with diabetes, and that like it is, it's a lot. And I, I, a lot of people say that, that that actually was one of those, the moments in the show where they were like, okay, we really need to do something about this. Yeah. Powerful stuff. Powerful stuff. Minal Lele is the founder and CEO of Lil Mixins. That's L apostrophe I-L, like little. It's L-I-L. There's no apostrophe? No like, apostrophe. Like Lil Abner? No, it's just L-I-L, L-I-L? space Mixins, okay. yeah. I get that though. Back when yeah. we used to use vowels. Like, yeah. Like, like, what, uh-huh. like I'm not a Lyft, tech company. L-I-F-T. You know, no, yeah. you are not a digital health Silicon Valley <laughs> startup company with no vowels. Host of the Fixing Sick podcast and soon-to-be author, actually you're currently an author, of a soon-to-be-released book, Baby in the Biome. All right. I wrote down all these crazy takeaways. Third trimester probiotics reduce eczema potential by 50%. We might be able to prevent food allergies before the kids are even born. The adaptive immune system are not your genetics. All right. I'm I'm a, I'm like a brain high right now, but I I can't thank you enough for what I hope was the first of many appearances here on Out of Patients. Thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having me, and yeah, I hope to be back soon. Out of Patients with Matthew Zachary is an Offscript Health production. The executive producers are Matthew Zachary and Andrew McDowell. Our senior producer is Sarah Rosa Davies. It's mixed and edited by Sarah Rosa Davies and Kyle Moore. Special thanks to Brianna Seely for added support. 
If you like the show, ratings and reviews are always welcome. Leave us a message anytime at 855-AUDIO-66. That's 855-AUDIO-66 to share your healthcare shitness with us, and we might just play them on the air on a future episode. For more information about this show and Offscript Health, visit offscript.com. That's offscript, no T, dot com.